Hello car fanatics in Irvine, Orange County, California, the United States, and around the world. It's time for the most famous words in motorsport. Here to give the command to start today's IndyCar finale special is IndyCar race control communicator and motorsport artist Jim Swindoll. Drivers and teams, restart your engines. This week on Speedway Sounds, the Verizon IndyCar Series Championship Show. Joining me this week is Jim Swintall, motorsport artist and race control communicator for IndyCar. Jim and I will continue where we left off from our conversation in June, this time focusing on his career, his advocacy for the Mazda Road to Indy Junior Leagues of American Open Wheel Racing, the 2018 Silly Season, and the new for 2018 Aero Kits. The highlight of our show today, discussion on this week's GoPro Grand Prix of Sonoma IndyCar Championship Finale. All that and more on this week's Speedway Sounds. Hello everyone and welcome to the Tuesday, September 12th edition of Speedway Sounds, the IndyCar Championship Special. I'd like to welcome none other than Jim Swintall of IndyCar. Welcome, Jim. Happy to be here again. And the reason I said restart the engines, not only because second time we're doing this, but we have been plagued with a spate of red flags this year, if you've been watching. I think there were three out of four Indy car races at the beginning of this season, mm -hmm. including the Indianapolis 500. So I've been saying restart your engines a lot this year. Ah, yes, yes, definitely. So I wanted to talk first about your career in motorsport a little bit more. Of course, you work in the race control booth at IndyCar for the main races as well as the junior league races for mm -hmm. the Mazda Road to Indy. Presented by Cooper Tires. Exactly, <laughs> yes. Definitely good to mention the sponsor there. Well, the wife will like that. Yeah. And then I wanted to first ask you about a little more about the, the heyday of carts and, and the championship auto racing teams, the Champ Car World Series. Great times. What were some of your greatest racing memories before working for the Verizon IndyCar Series? If we're going back to being on the start stand, if you recall, I was the starter before uh, I got moved up to race control uh, a little later in the series. I was going back and, and thinking about some of the memorable finishes because back then, Finishing side-by-side side was a rarity, if not at all. Mm -hmm. uh, with the competitiveness that we have now and the parity that we have now, it's a lot more common. But uh, the 2000 Michigan 500 mm -hmm. came down to the last laps. It was Juan Montoya versus Michael Andretti. There was another car in the way. They came underneath the starter stand. They were separated by a few feet. The starter stand actually moved a little bit because it was the position of the third car caused both of the cars to go up a lot higher in the dust, mm -hmm. and it got in our eyes and everything like that. Really? Yeah, and that, that start stand hung out over the racetrack. It was kind of like a, oh, like a hollowed-out canoe almost. But um, the thing about that and the thing about a lot of the things that I remember was that being on the start stand... I got to see them along with my assistant or whoever happened to be up there with me. I got to see them from a different vantage point than anybody else, and I will always have that to treasure. Yeah, it's it's amazing, the starter stand position. Mm -hmm. We'll talk a little bit more about that specifically after in a few questions. You've dedicated a large part of your life to the sport of motorsport, IndyCar specifically. Have you had to make family or other sacrifices for a, it along the a, way? A few. As as we said before, my uh, wife, Diane, is in the business. She's the PR coordinator for the Mazda Road to Indy, uh, presented by Cooper Tires. And, of course, uh, it's an income stream for both of us. It pays the bills. We have to make economies here and there in our schedules. I would have to say that 
I think I'm fortunate in since I joined both organizations, I've only had to miss two races, both for family-related issues, one recently and one, fingers crossed, we had already made reservations to work the United States Open golf tournament up mm. at uh, Pebble Beach in 2010. That was the first year that I signed on with IndyCar, uh-huh. and that was one of the caveats I took to Brian Barnhart that uh, I kind of got this thing that I already committed to. and turned out it was very smart for us to go because Diane worked with me and her favorite golfer won mm-hmm. the tournament and oh, had wow. we not been there and had he won would have been a difficult summer but but it all worked out for us so it's it, everything goes hand in hand I see I had no clue you're interested in golf oh yeah yeah I, I started playing I came from a golfing family and I played a lot when I was a kid and my brother became a professional he was so good oh, really? wow. he was so good and I was so bad that uh, about halfway through high school, I left it behind, and I got the bug again, 2004, something like that. So I took like a 33-year-old, sub- 33-year sabbatical, oh, yeah. and uh, came back uh, uh, much stronger. And uh, I'm a little better player now than I used to be. Wow. Back to IndyCar. I love going back in time and watching some of the races on YouTube. You were mentioning that. And I have happened to find one of you in the starter role, like you're saying, waving the twin checkers over the field. And they actually mentioned you and your name on the TV broadcast. It was the 1994 Michigan 500-mile race. I want to play the clip for you real quick and for my audience as well. You'll get to hear it. Yep. I wanted to get your thoughts on it. And Scott Goodyear will have chills up and down his spine. He could never have imagined, as Leslie watches, that this type of success could have fallen his way today. Under 30 seconds away from his second win, and a win at the Marlboro 500. His name on the Dana Trophy already once. Will it go again? Boy, it sure looks that way. The man who perseveres wins a final couple of bottomings. Third turn, fourth turn. Scott Goodyear sees the twin checkered flags from Jim Swintall, and the Budweiser car with Scott Goodyear has taken the win in the Marlboro 500. He'll be followed to the line by Ari Leyendyke and Dominic Dobson. Mm. It was back before we had a pit lane speed limit, I think. Really? You used to be able to come in at the pits as fast as you possibly could, 120 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour, stuff like that. It, working in the pits was, was pretty wild and woolly back then. Yeah. Al Jr. blows up. So the TV camera on the on the video mm-hmm. turns to the starter wave and white flag. That's mm-hmm. you, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One to go. And, of course, the ubiquitous wife shot that they used to use so much often back then. Yeah. Scott Goodyear and his wife. This was Scott's second victory in three years. He won the 92 race as well. There mm-hmm. we go. How cool is that? See, it they also They mentioned you on the broadcast. Yeah, How well, cool it also it also there there again. Mm-hmm. It also pays to be friends with Paul Page, you know. Oh. And, <laughs> and we traveled yeah. around together and and uh we got to know each other and uh back and forth, but the starter stand uh, back in those days, it still is. It is sort of the the outpicturing, the visual representation of what 
race control is doing. It's very visible. A lot going on up there. The fans look to the start stand to try to figure out what's going on. Maybe more so back then, because back then we didn't have all the electronic tendencies that we have nowadays for people to listen and, and people to figure out online what's going on. So, But the other, the other side of the coin back then was being on the starter stand was very important. You got very wound up in what you were doing and the decision you were making and the, and the flags that you were putting out and the blue flagging and all of that. Uh, you got very focused on that. And when I went up to race control about 10 years after that was made, I realized how much I was really missing. A much more bigger picture view from up there than certainly down on the ground. And that's, again, again the way race control works with all of its constituents on the ground. Everybody works on their own program, their own tasks, as it were, and all that stuff is gathered up and sort of weighed and measured and sent out by race control. There's one question I've always wanted to ask uh, any starter in any series, and that is how do the drivers actually, they see the flags. They, they see the flag. They, they see the flags, they but see how the, well do they see everything that's going well, on up there? Well, again, they see the flag. They hear the call from race control. Mm -hmm. They see the lights go on. All those things. Back when I was the start, it's interesting that you would say that. Back when I was the starter, the decision was mine. Wally Dallenbach and later Kirk Russell and then Chris Neifel gave that decision to me because of where I was and being down next to the racetrack. It wasn't always the most advantageous place to put the person who's making the decision. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, with all the camera coverage we have, and again, this was also something that I learned when I went up to race control, you can kind of see better from up in race control, either out the window on an oval or, or seeing the wall of video that we have in, in any race control room. And that position has evolved to the point where it's now in the hands of the race director, just like mm -hmm. in Formula One. Charlie yeah. Whiting starts the race. He's the guy that flips the switch, mm -hmm. okay? And now it's, it's kind of evolved into Brian Barnhart, who is the guy whose the decision falls on him anyway, so he doesn't have to defend or, or take part in, in, in anything else that happens since he's the guy that's going to take the heat for any decisions that are made, he's the guy that's making the decision. And I didn't necessarily agree with that when I was down on the start stand, but again, having the opportunity to see things first from the start stand and then upstairs, I think this is really the better way to do it. I see, yeah. I've always loved how the starter, as you were saying, has a traditional role of being the source of information, mm -hmm. particularly at the oval tracks. Mm -hmm. I remember, I've, I've watched so many races at Auto Club Speedway, for example, where mm -hmm. I specifically wanted to sit behind good, the flag stand. Good big starter stand there. Behind I, the flag I used to stand, have yeah. uh, uh, honorary starters there, and I think mm -hmm. one race near the end of the cart era, I had nine people up there with me. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but there was plenty of room for them. And sometimes when you share an experience like that, it just makes it more meaningful to you as well to be able to share it. Definitely, yeah. And it's not, yeah, it's not only for the drivers, it's for the fans. I've, yep. I always would pay attention to every blue flag to, to yep. kind of kind of look at which, which, which cars were on the lead lap, which ones were a lap down, in mm -hmm. addition to the scoring pylon mm -hmm. at, at that track. And, um, and especially when the black flag came out, I would hear that sometime, I would see that sometimes before the radio transmission would come through, like a, in a fan headset system. I would see the black flag, and then if I was sitting before the grandstand, I'd see the number if, and if instantly that's tell. That's right. Or, or if you're listening to the race control frequency nowadays, you know ahead of time what they're talking about, that they've been looking at this car, 
and it's time to get it in. But again, the flags are there. There are other redundancies regarding communicating with the drivers, with the with the IM system we have, with the radio system we have. It's there for a purpose to make sure nothing sort of falls through the cracks. Definitely. Do you happen to know also who the current IndyCar flagmen oh, are? Oh sure, oh sure, because I'm in their ear, and I and I and I hope and I think that they're uh, appreciative that I'm in their ear, uh, letting them know what's what's going on. Because I used to be a starter, and I've I've got a little bit of sympathy for what they do. But we have we have three: Paul Blevin, who is from Southern California. He lives in the Riverside area, so he commutes mm. to the, to the events like I do. Uh, Tom Hansing, who is from Central Indiana, and starting. Just this year is a fellow named of Brad Hockaday. We inherited him from ARCA, uh, the stock really? car series, uh-huh. M- mostly and also because he's also a pretty sharp IT guy. Mm-hmm. And so he helps uh, timing and scoring, as does Paul Blevin, too. But they have an opportunity to come and not only make a contribution on the start stand, but also in, in other ways. Uh, when I was on the start stand, I was just a starter, and that's that's all there was to it. But these three guys kind of rotate through. Sometimes there's two of them. Sometimes there's only one of them. It has to do with their availability. It has to do with the scheduling. They all have other jobs, I'm fairly certain. And, again, they work hard. They spend a lot of time up there in all kinds of weather. I'm very glad that I work indoors nowadays. Yeah, definitely. Hot, hot and cold and day mm-hmm. and night. So thanks for giving us insight on what it's like to be a starter. Let's go on to the second quarter of the show, which is all about the Mazda Road to Indy. Their three championships concluded at Watkins Glen two mm-hmm. weekends ago. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it's the three junior formula series leading into the Verizon IndyCar series, the pinnacle of open-wheel racing in the U.S. You have the U.S. Formula 2000 series, Pro Mazda, and Indy Lights. The three series run at many of the same tracks with IndyCar and each have rewards for winning that mm-hmm. help drivers advance to the next level. That's my short explanation, but how do you pitch it to someone who only knows about maybe the Indy 500 well, or even less? from a fan perspective, I guess I would have to ask, what kind of fan are you? Do you want to see what's coming up next? Do you want to know what these guys are all about, or do you want to be surprised when you see somebody sitting in a car, in an Indy car, that you really don't know all that much about? So there's a lot of exposure. There's exposure to not only the fans running these series with IndyCar. There's exposure to the team owners, the prospective IndyCar team owners. Another advantage is that the structure that officiates the IndyCars, all my confreres in race control, we all worked the Mazda Road to Indy sessions too. So there's that quality. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's more expensive series, uh, training ground series than some others. But like everything nowadays, you get what you pay for. But going back to familiarity with the drivers, 23, I think, of the 33 drivers that were in the Indy 500 this year are all Mazda Road to Indy grads. So again, again, if you're paying attention, if you're a serious fan, you will already know, for the most part, who most of these guys are that come up. And that's, that's a thrill for a lot of people. Especially since Indy Lights has been running now for, what, two decades, maybe more? 19... 85 was the first wow. season. That's 86. De- 1986. Yes. Yeah, yes. Continuously. Under different guises, it was the Infinity Pro Series, and then it became back to Indy Lights again when Firestone came back. But yeah, it's a it's a steady stream. We'll mention later in the show, Scott Dixon and Joseph Newgarden, both Indy Lights champs, going down to the wire this year to win the IndyCar 
championship. Definitely. Very proud of that. Let's go into the recaps for each of the three series and their championship finales at Watkins Glen. Cooper Tires US Formula 2000 presented by Mazda. In that series, rookie Oliver Eskew won a close championship battle with fellow rookie Renus VK. 20-year-old Eskew won five consecutive races. From round two at the St. Petersburg, Florida Street Circuit, both rounds at Barber Motorsport Park, and both rounds at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course. He also won at the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course and earned an oval win at Iowa Speedway. Renus VK from the Netherlands won both races at Road America and earned podiums in eight additional races. VK was only 13 points behind Askew going into the final race at the Glen. At the Glen, VK tried to gain an advantage by saving his tires so that he'd have a new set for qualifying and another new set for the race. But this didn't stop Oliver Askew from claiming, claiming pole position with a new track record. And he was even as fast as the previous year's Pro Mazda cars. VK qualified second, a tenth of a second slower. In the race, Renus VK challenged for the lead on the outside into turn one and defended from Oliver Askew through the uphill S's. VK pulled away in the best possible position. Even so, his only chance would be if Askew had a problem. Askew settled into second place and stayed there until the checkered flag. VK won the race, but Askew secured the USF 2000 championship and a scholarship to climb to the Pro Mazda series next year. Renus VK's thoughts? I'm happy, but I could be happier. I hadn't really planned to pass Oliver at the start, but I saw him break for the inside, and I went for the outside, and all of a sudden I passed him. We had a good race down the back straight, but I didn't want to give the position back. I think he backed off to be sure of the position for the championship, but I put my head down and got away from the field. I'll take some time off in the offseason and figure out what I want to do next year. I definitely want to stay in the Mazda Road to Indy. I don't know where on the ladder, but I think we'll move up. It was a great season with 12 podiums out of 14 races with three wins, so I cannot thank the PAPS team enough for giving me a great car and getting better every weekend. Oliver Askew, the champion's thoughts. He drove the number three car for Mazda Motorsports, MC Racing Cape Motorsports. I've dreamed about this moment for so long. It's such a huge weight off my shoulders to be champion. My learning curve has really been steep this year, but I've had so many great people around me who have helped me progress. I learned something every day at the racetrack. The priority was to finish on the podium in case Renus won and got maximum points, and we did that. I just did the best I could to keep Calvin behind me. I can't thank the Cape team enough. We started on the wrong foot this weekend, but once again when it counted, we got the pole and I had a great car. I'm so happy to be able to continue my relationship with Mazda and Cooper Tires. They've helped me so much. Thanks also to the Team USA Scholarship for giving me the opportunity and Rising Star Racing. This is not going to sink in for a while. I can't wait for next year. That's Oliver Askew's thoughts. He is the USF 2000 champion for 2017. What are your thoughts, Jim? Renus, a really tough guy. Um, he was somewhat of an unknown quantity because he came from Europe. And the thing that really stands out in his copybook, let's say, is that this is his first full season driving automobiles. He's a cart driver. Hmm. And he really, really showed us from the beginning that he was right up there. He was a force to be reckoned with. Ari Leyendijk, also being a Dutchman, pointed this out to us early on, that this kid is tough. And, and every time Renus did well, whether he won or is on the podium, Ari would come back to race control for the IndyCar race. And do you see how Renus did? Renus, Renus is on the... Renus is on the podium. Renus is so. Ari's a pretty smart guy, and 
we think Renus is going to go pretty far. Oliver was the scholarship winner. He got to wear the soul red colors. He won the shootout last year. And I go to, I think, maybe a biblical passage. To whomever much is given, much will be required. He had a lot of weight on his shoulders this year being the scholarship winner. He was able to parlay that into exactly what he needed to do. And again, he doesn't have a ton of experience either in cars. I think this is his first full season as well. But he really came through for us, and it was a great season. He's going on to, to Pro the next year, and uh, we're going to find out where Renus goes. Renus tells us, as you said, that he's got something about ready to be lined up. We're just going to see where it is. Definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's we're a, they were a too. lot of fun to work with, these guys. Great thoughts on the two drivers for USF 2000. Let's go up the ladder to Pro Mazda Championship presented by Cooper Tires. Victor Franzoni of Brazil dominated this year leading up to the final two rounds at Watkins Glen, winning both races at Indy, one at Road America, one at Mid-Ohio, and he had an oval win at Gateway. And in every race he didn't win, he finished second, incredibly. Nonetheless, he was only two points ahead of Australian Anthony Martin. Martin also won five races, both at St. Pete the other race at Road America, two of the three races at Mid-Ohio as well. With the lone exception of the second race at Indy where he placed fourth, he also finished second in every race he didn't win. In Saturday's race one, Franzoni earned a point with the pole position and the new track record. Martin had a great start and took the lead on the first lap. After a mid-race crash that brought out the safety car, Martin defended the top spot for as long as he could, but Franzoni was simply faster and gained the lead and the win. Martin settled for second, and the gap between them grew to eight points. In Sunday morning's finale, Franzoni dominated while Martin spun out in the battle for second. He had to settle for third. Thus, Franzoni earned the Pro Mazda title and the scholarship to advance to Indy Lights. Victor Franzoni, who drove the number 23 car for Junco's Racing, said, I am so happy, but there are so many things in my mind right now. It's unbelievable. So many people helped me to get into Pro Mazda this season. I grew up five or ten years in my career this season. The difference for me was Junkos Racing this year. They gave me such a great car. The fight with Anthony was incredible. He's really, really good. I had to push so hard to stay with him. We were so close in every single race and pushed to the limit all the time. This was the hardest season of my life because I knew I could not make a mistake. We both did a great job and I think we both deserve to move forward. There were so many things on my mind on that last lap that I couldn't focus. The team told me to be careful when the white flag came out, and suddenly I couldn't drive. (laughs) When I saw the checkered, it was so great. To know where I will be next year now is the best thing in the world. I want to thank everyone at Mazda, Cooper Tires, and Anderson Promotions. I didn't get just prize money today. I got hope. What are your thoughts? That quote there, I I just didn't get prize money today. I got hope. That's getting a lot of mileage, not only for him as the scholarship winner, but again for the platform, for the fact that all of these guys come and they have this opportunity, uh, depending on how the season comes out, and they get the exposure. If they're not the scholarship winner, if they're not the championship, like Renus, the series that is on the ladder up above them have a chance to see these guys racing. Uh, But this is one of the more interesting stories of the season in that Junkos was not supposed to have a Pro Mazda team this year. Really? They didn't. I don't believe they had the funding for it. And along comes another driver, Jeff Green, who I will say this in the most respectful way, is a gentleman driver. He's not too much younger than I am. But he brought forth the funding not only for himself but also for another driver. And although Victor 
tested with Juncos, they weren't going to go anywhere until Jeff Green and this situation came about. So all of a sudden, Victor had a ride, parlayed that into the championship. And I can also say for Victor what a great guy he is to work with, extremely enthusiastic. Everybody just loves him. And he reminds me a lot of Cristiano D'Amata. He kind of has the same verbal mannerisms. He's very positive, makes a silver lining out of everything that happens to him. And I think he's going to go far. He's going to go far in Indy Lights racing. And if he makes it up to the pinnacle, up to Indy cars, I think he's going to be very popular. He's a great guy. That's great praise from you. That's great to Mm -hmm. hear. And he definitely took advantage of an opportunity that wasn't guaranteed for him. You've got to be in the right place at the right time a lot of times in in IndyCar racing in Mazda Road to Indy and everything just fell into place for him and it was it was great for him it was great for Jeff Green great for the team for them to put this thing together. Yes that's an excellent story. So let's move one more rung up the ladder to the top of the Mazda Road to Indy. The Indy Lights presented by Cooper Tires. The championship in this final round was essentially already secured by Kyle Kaiser of Yonkos Racing. Unlike the other two championships where consistently running in the top three was critical, the Indy Light Series top three had very up and down seasons. Colton Herta in third place won at St. Pete and Barber, but also had six races where he finished 10th or worse. The runner-up was Santiago Rutia, who won twice late in the season at Mid-Ohio and the Oval at Gateway. Rutia finished second simply by having more runner-up finishes and fewer poor results. Kyle Kaiser won the championship by almost a full race worth of points. With three wins at the Indy Road Course and both race wins in Toronto, along with five other podium finishes, Kaiser walked away with an insurmountable lead at Watkins Glen. Aaron Tillitz, who eventually finished sixth in points, took the twin checkers first in a full wet race at the Glen to bookend his rookie season with wins. He had also won the first race of the year in St. Pete. Matthias Leist, who had three wins, including the Freedom 100 at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and Zachary Clement de with one win, also had great seasons in fourth and fifth in the points, respectively. Indy Lights rewards this champion with the biggest prizes. Three paid race entries into the Verizon IndyCar Series, including the 102nd Indy 500, so definitely expect to see Kaiser to graduate to a Honda or Chevy-powered car next year. What are your thoughts? Kyle had the largest point margin in Indy Lights in a long time. That says a lot considering how competitive this series has become, especially since the new car, the IL-15, came online. He really showed a a steady hand throughout the season. He was leading the championship last year in the early part of the year, and and, and people were saying, well, is is Kyle ready to do it? And, And other people thought, well, maybe not. Let's see how his experience takes him to the end of the season. And he was not victorious last year, but again, he wound up in the same position this year. And he was really smart, and I think the smart approach to the way he won this championship and won it handily will be an asset when it comes to IndyCar owners and an IndyCar career. So uh, smart guys have a tendency, you know, like Scott Dixon, Elio Castroneves, going pretty far in IndyCars. And uh, I think Kyle certainly, certainly got that chance. I see, I see. Here are Kaiser's thoughts. The season has been so incredible. I'm extremely thankful to the team for giving me this opportunity and developing me into a champion over the past four seasons. For Jungos to win both the Pro Mazda and Indy Lights championships in the same year is an incredible feat, and it is very well deserved. It's been great to celebrate and reflect over this accomplishment, but I know now it's the time to get to work harder than I ever have so I can make an impression in the IndyCar series. 
Thanks again to Mazda and Cooper Tires for making the scholarship program possible. I'm looking forward to the coming weeks to start planning for the upcoming season. One more time, I will say we're so proud of, of Kyle. We're so proud of the Indy Lights drivers. We're so proud of that series. There's only, again, for the economics at that level, it's, it's, it's pretty hard to make a jump from Pro Mazda up to Indy Lights. There's a lot of money and finances involved in order to put together an Indy Lights season. What these guys do on the racetrack, week in and week out, with only 16, sometimes 15 cars, it's amazing. Every qualifying session is compelling, and the races are beyond compelling as far as what they will put in front of us. So, again, a series for everybody to keep an eye on. Before we go to a quick break, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the Indy Light Series and, and how it's advancing drivers up to IndyCar. We've had several success stories from Indy Lights graduates, especially in Joseph Newgarden, the 2011 champion of Indy Lights, and Ed Jones, the 2016 champion of Indy Lights. But we've also seen some of the champions struggle to maintain a ride in IndyCar. Each driver and team has their own individual situations, of course. But the way it sounds is that every champion is given a shot, but not all earn a second opportunity or a follow-up opportunity after that first three-race package. Can and should more be done to keep champion drivers in IndyCar longer? I say this as a NASCAR fan as well because NASCAR mm -hmm. has kept a lot of its Xfinity Series mm -hmm. contenders. They're all still in the Cup Series right. after several years. Well, I'll put a disclaimer on this. This is my opinion, and there's, this disclaimer goes with everything I've said in this entire broadcast. But I think it's, it's also a matter of the economics. It's a matter of the funding, putting the funding in place. I certainly would not fault uh, Mazda or the Anderson uh, Racing Organization for actually putting this together, even though at the, at the outset it's, it's only three races the big one being guaranteed, but it's also a matter of space. Our top of our pyramid is a lot narrower than the top of the pyramid in some other maybe bigger racing series, mm -hmm. right? So as our ladder gets taller, it gets narrower. There aren't so many positions. There aren't a lot of seats that are open. Could be in NASCAR. You've got a lot more cars. You've got a lot more venues. It's just a bigger Again, my opinion, a bigger, wider atmosphere. And so economics, opportunities, all of these come into play in regard to securing that ride, in regarding to your performance on the racetrack. God bless Ed Jones. He's taken uh, his ride at Dale Coyne Racing and done a lot with it. They, uh, Ed has impressed a lot of people this year. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, I think it's a matter of space almost more than anything else. Definitely, and I think that's a perfectly reasonable answer. Mm -hmm. The two series, NASCAR Xfinity and Cup, and then Indy Lights, IndyCar, they can't always be compared apples no, to apples. No, can they, they can't, nor can the past be compared with the future. Mm -hmm. uh, we had Castro Nevis come up, established uh, a career out of Indy Lights. Tony Kanaan, Scott Dixon. It, it seemed to be a lot easier in the 90s and the early part of the 2000s than when the series has now evolved into the, into the teens. And, again, it's, it's a matter of space. It's a matter of opportunity in what you have available to work with. All right. We'll be right back with Jim Swintall, IndyCar race control communicator and motorsport artist. We're going to talk about the art you've done for the Mazda Road to Indy mm -hmm. right when we return on Speedway Sounds on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Welcome back to Speedway Sounds. I'm your host, Noah Stein. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm with IndyCar race control communicator and motorsport artist Jim Swintall. 
We're talking about the upcoming weekend's championship finale, along with several other topics on this IndyCar finale special. Welcome back to the show. Still here. <laughs> Definitely, yep. Still clicking along. Again, thanks for uh, having me over. So I wanted to start off with following up from the Mazda Road to Indy recaps. I wanted to talk about your art and mm-hmm. the art you're doing for the Mazda Road to Indy series. You presented some some of your some work sketches. at the yeah, banquet. Some sketches after. to the banquet to mm-hmm. anybody who was a contender coming down to the end. This goes all the way back. I started doing artwork for a particular series. Again, it was the Indy Lights series, the old version of the Indy Lights series. The first painting I did was of Eric Bachelard, who is now uh, an owner and beyond. Back then, you could have a painting ready, or you could have maybe two paintings ready if it came down to maybe two drivers, something like that. Since we're looking at three different series, and, and also this time of year, I'm also involved in some other series doing the same thing for... And those series are decided on the last weekend. You can't have five or six paintings ready to go, although as much as I would like to. So what we present to the winner uh, and also a smaller version to the uh, runners-up is a preliminary black-and-white sketch of what a painting could be, which is basically my idea. Uh, I present it to them. They become my client. And during the season, during the off-season, which keeps me extremely busy during the off-season now, the off-season used to be empty until I kind of came up with this idea. But they become my client, and we go back and forth, and I prepare for them a finished painting that they will get either in December or January or even later sometimes, depending on my racing schedule. So we handed out three big sketches last week to the champions, a couple of smaller ones for the other contenders. They were portraits this year of the driver in their car, taking a little less time to do with the helmet on, I can draw eyes pretty well. If I was going to do the whole face portrait, it would certainly take more time than I had. And the reason to do the sketches is to uh, to be able to do them fairly quickly. So, again, uh, since they were portraits and not just pictures of the cars on the racetrack, they were extremely well received. I was very enthused by that. I wasn't sure because it was a little different take I made this year. But they came out they came out really well. That's great to hear. So describe some of the sketches. You brought some into the studio today. Yeah, I've got um, all the ones here in front of me. Santiago Arrutia sitting in his car, staring straight ahead. Uh, you can see his eyes. He's got uh, some of the most piercing, focused eyes in uh, in that level of motorsport. And it's either there, there's a there's like a sense of calm about him because he's right, ready to go out before a session starts, and there's also a little bit of that stay-the-heck-out-of-my-way that, uh, that only Santi can, uh, can purvey. One of the others here is of Oliver Askew. He just popped out, out of his car uh, after winning at Indianapolis. He won one of the uh, Indianapolis Grand Prix road races, and he's got his uh, finger up in the air in celebration, and uh, he really liked that as well. So... Uh, I also have to give a, a big hand to the guys who supply me with the uh, the reference photos, Chris and Joe of uh, IMS Photo. Without good reference material, any any artist is you know just making doodles. Definitely, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I can I can also say that um, the first one I did was in 1991, mm. and here I'm doing sketches in 2017. And none of the drivers that I did sketches for this week were even alive when I did my first Indy Lights painting back in 1991. 
That's incredible. It, that yeah. used to make me feel bad, but it it also gives it a weight. It gives it a maybe an importance to the longevity mm-hmm. of of the of the program. And I would also have to thank Chris Pantani and all the good people at Cooper Tires for being the patron of the program. Mm-hmm. It seemed as though uh, it went from sort of one tire company to another, and it's fallen onto Cooper. Uh, we asked them to continue the tradition. They were very happy and eager to continue it. So Kyle Kaiser, when he gets his Indy Lights painting, he will be receiving the 21st Indy Lights painting that I have done. You attended the banquet? Yes. How was it? Yes. We had a lot of fun. Uh, it was in a hotel that had a scenic view overlooking the bottom of uh, Lake Seneca. Uh, the last couple of years, we ended the season in uh, in Monterey at Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca, and that was overlooking Monterey Bay. And so there was a little bit of commonality in we ended the season with a with a cocktail party and awards ceremony overlooking a fairly important and beautiful body of water. That's great. Yeah, we had a, we had a lot yeah. of fun. Let's go on to let's go on to discussing perhaps some of the silly season news mm-hmm. that's been happening okay. in the weeks leading up to this championship yeah. finale. There are several cars confirmed so far. We have Marco Andretti returning for Andretti, of course. Ryan Hunter Ray's returning. Alexander Rossi was re-signed as well. Yep. And then he followed that up with winning the race at Watkins Glen. Mm-hmm. Scott Dixon's re-signed with Chip Ganassi. Sebastian Bourdais re-signed with Dale Coyne. Ed Carpenter is driving for his own team, probably for the oval races again. It appears that Gabby Chavez will be driving for Harding Racing next year. Those guys work really hard. They're, they're a great organization. The Harding Racing team? Yes, they are. And then Buddy Lazier will return for the, his one-off at the Indy 500. Yep. Graham Rahal for Rahal Letterman Lanigan. James Hinchcliffe returning to Schmidt-Peterson. And Joseph Newgard, Will Power, and Simon Pagino are each returning to their rides at Team Penske. Mm-hmm. So there are some empty seats this year. Maybe maybe more this year than last year. I remember last year was all kind of like lockstep. It was only one or two, and, and Ed Jones was lucky to find a spot with Dale Coyne, as we mentioned. But And there's a there's a Ganassi ride that it, may or may not be, be up for grabs. Mm-hmm. Indeed. I, I remember from last year, I think the only major news was that Joseph Newgarden yes. moved to Penske replacing Montoya. Yes, and... I don't know. Uh, we've been watching Joseph for a long time. It just seemed almost inevitable that Joseph, with the, w- the kind of guy he is and the, the kind of image that he portrayed, that would be a good fit with Penske. And it's, it's great to see that in their first year of relationship together, it's already grown some fruit. Still several vacancies, of course. The number seven team mm-hmm. for Schmitz-Peterson Motorsports, teammate to James Hinchcliffe, They've said, according to Marshall Pruitt, that in a very interesting headline, 28 drivers are still under consideration for that ride. How does one team sort through a list of 28 drivers? It's a business. Yeah. It's a business. Sam's got to do the right thing. He's got to, and again, this falls back to some of the things we were talking about a little earlier about about rides and, and, and drivers for seats. He's got to come up with that magic bullet, as it were to get the right driver in the right seat with the right funding and the and the right business model. Business model is very important. And lucky for him, he's got a lot to, to draw from. I would insert here, again, selfishly, and again, just my opinion, don't rule out Santiago Arrutia for that, that number seven seat. I think he'd be a good fit in there. I see, yeah. This could also be Elio Castroneves' last race as a full-time driver for Team Penske and IndyCar. Mm-hmm. 
And Penske may have bigger plans in sports cars in the IMSA mm-hmm. WeatherTech Sports Car Championship for yep. him with their new Acura it's, program. That's possible. We'll see where that all goes. And this frustrates me personally a little bit because this is this uh, the, these talks are happening even though, according to NBCSN, Elio scored more points on ovals this year than anybody else. Yep, yep. But Elio's been around a while, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, again, it could be get into the mind of Elio Castroneves. Is it just motor racing or is it just oval racing or is it just open wheel racing that is that is driving his opinions right mm-hmm. he's been around a while sports car racing maybe a little less hazardous drivers turn from one to the other as they get towards the end of their career that's where montoya went that's where uh a number of other drivers rent have gone uh very competitive over there just as exciting especially with penske mm-hmm. uh, being involved and as as you recall i think elio did some driving in the porsche in the long distance races when the last time mm. that that penske fielded uh an imsa team so it might be a, a natural fit for this stage of elio's career Perhaps so. To me, Elio's been one of the mainstays of IndyCar racing as mm-hmm. long as I can remember. And it would be, you know, as a fan, it would be disappointing. My mom, He's my mom's favorite driver, by the way. Well, that's good. So, Your mom has good taste. Yeah. <laughs> um, my question is going to be if he wins Sebring or if he wins Daytona uh, mm-hmm. I- driving uh, in a sports car series, is he going to run and climb the fence and, and what's going to happen there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> that'll be interesting. He was leading near the end, or he was near the top uh, in contention at Gateway. Mm-hmm. And TV was already uh, talking to race control about, we've got to get our ducks in a row in case he wins and climbs the fence and that type of thing. So it's something that people plan for. He's, he's really? Yeah. I mean, he's, he has yeah. this legacy, uh, and he is the kind of person that you imagine. He is the person he comes off as on television. Mm-hmm. I can certainly say that. Yeah. An interesting article from Racer.com and their writers, Robin Miller and Marshall Pruitt, came out today on the Silly Season. It's kind of a satirical article. Yeah. I definitely wanted to go through. Those guys are very good at that. Yeah, I definitely (laughs) wanted to go through the different things they've thrown out there. Yeah, because I haven't heard them yet. So let me, let's just read the, let's go through the article and have some laughs about it. Sure. The intro basically says, you know, Robin Miller and Marshall Pruitt, they've been breaking the big driver news stories this year. So they decided to ask the readers to decipher the rumors from the facts and from the absurd. So I de- that asked oh, me to bring it on the, so on the it's show like pretty a, much. It's, it's like begging a quiz, me to bring it, it up here. Yeah. It's like a quiz. Okay. What do you think is real and what's not? Maybe I'll score fairly high. We'll see. All right. <laughs> I mean, we don't know the answers to the quiz yet. Mm-hmm. We'll know maybe soon. Fernando Alonso, the top one. Fernando Alonso, who did really well in this year's Indy 500 before retiring with an engine failure, is coming back to IndyCar and will be teammates with James Hinchcliffe in the Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports Aero Electronics okay, Honda. See, see he, takes a, he takes a salary cut from $40 million to $4 million, but IMS waives his motorhome parking lot fee. Well, he's that, given four that would freebies. be important. Yeah, he's given four freebies for Carb Day, six seats in the front row of the paddock section for race day, and discount coupons for $10 I tenderloins. Think, I think he's probably going to get even more than that. But um, did you notice, paying attention to Formula One this year, how his attitude has kind of changed after he came over here mm-hmm. and spent the month of May. Yes, it's only one race, and yes, it's only a month, but I'm telling you, man-to-man, the drivers from Europe come over here, and they are amazed at the warmth, at the attitude, 
at the I don't know, it's just it's just a lot easier to get along here. It's not cutthroat, it's not stab in the back. Of course it's competitive and it's tough, but there's just there's there's a much more welcoming atmosphere here and I think he's tuned into that. And based on the things that are happening to him at McLaren, he's got this in the back of his mind and he's beginning to make decisions sometimes even on the racetrack with this in the back of his mind. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see how that works out. It, it reminds me of when Nigel Mansell won the world championship in 1992 and forsaked Williams. I can't remember why, but there was some sort of political thing happening there, too, at the time, uh, and came over here and raced for Newman Haas and you know tore the place apart. Definitely, so yeah. it could happen again. Yeah, I think especially Alonzo, McLaren had a double retirement at the Italian Grand Prix, for example, and you could just tell the yep. frustration is just at its peak. It's yes. at its peak right now. I can't imagine Alonzo staying for next year at McLaren, Honda, in Formula One. And there's a lot of people in Formula One that want him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, come and work for us. We'll treat you better than, than this. The The really telling moment was when he retired at in Canada, and he went up. He, th- he went up into the grandstands, and he threw his gloves up there yeah. just to make the fans happy. I mean, he wouldn't have done that before coming to IndyCar. Mm-hmm. I think we're kind of proud of that. That's really cool. On the on the flip side of that, McLaren. There's another hypothetical headline. McLaren is in talks with Carlin Racing owners Trevor Carlin and Graham Chilton to buy and rebrand the team. McLaren wants to establish its own ladder system using Carlin's American and European open wheel teams and develop its own IndyCar team. Mm. Dressed in papaya orange with Max Chilton and Chip Ganassi racing pal Charlie Kimball in McLaren Carlin entries using Honda engines. McLaren protege tester Lando Norris has also farmed out for a few IndyCar races in preparation for his F1 debut in 2019. Mm-hmm. I don't know about that one, but that's, that's, that's a really that's, tough that's, ask. That's stretching it, mm-hmm. but what I think what's shadowing that whole thing is how the McLaren brand came into and took a little spot at Andretti Racing mm-hmm. last May because there was a McLaren brand that had been associated with IndyCar racing back in the in the 70s. So that might be a little bit uh, far-fetched, but that's kind of a what-if. Isn't that interesting? Here's another one that I don't... This one I don't quite the get the reference to. Okay. I'm too young for it. I can help I you think. then. <laughs> says, I can certainly help you. Dick Simon returns to field six cars for all of the Indy Lights drivers unable to find full-season deals. Explain that one. Dick Simon, back in the 90s, used to enter four, five, six cars. I think the most was at seven. Uh, Andy Evans in the first year of the split back in 1996, I think, had seven. But Dick had a way of, like what Schmidt is trying to do, uh, of putting these deals together. He was a good deal maker. He was a much better deal maker and a much better uh, team owner than he was a driver because he did the first part of his career from the cockpit putting deals together for for teammates for the Indianapolis 500. And back then, there were a lot of people trying to get into the 500. You could have more cars than spots were available in the field. We don't do that anymore mm-hmm. now because I think of economics, because of engines, and because of business models. But Dick Simon uh, had a propensity for bringing all of these cars together for this race. So I think... He's taking a layer of the past and dropping it on this year in that uh, there are are many more drivers who deserve to be in the Indianapolis 500 than there are spaces for them. Mm. Here's another funny one. Connor Daly quits veganism after Sonoma and hits every Hooters, Buffalo Wild Wings, and Wingstop on a week-long motor coach tour from California to Indiana. 
He weighs in at 350 pounds <laughs> upon arrival. I, I don't I don't know Connor personally. Uh, his dad used to be my formula, favorite Formula One driver a, a long time ago. But, again, Connor is one of those personalities where something like this probably wouldn't be that big of a stretch. Connor's a great guy. One more funny one here. Marco Andretti signs up Paul Tracy for Uber Eats, <laughs> which is the, the food delivery service. Yeah. PT is disappointed to learn he's expected to drive food to people rather than having people drive food to him. <laughs> oh, I like <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Paul, mm-hmm. one of Paul's strengths back when he was a driver and now that he's in the booth is he has his own sort of vision of the world, for better or for worse, and he's been able to take that from strength to strength, both when he was on the racetrack, as in get out of my way, I don't care, to the way he calls... Uh, races. Um, it was it was told to me, or I read it somewhere, that the only leash that they have on Paul is that he doesn't curse on the air, and and other than that, that's exactly what what the fans have been hoping for. And and Paul's just been really great. When it was announced that Paul was going to the booth, there was yeah he might be able to, but he also might might be really terrible at it. But mm-hmm. uh, he's he's shown us more than enough times how really great he is at this gig. Definitely, yeah. And then one last one. These are all really funny, and I encourage you to check out all of them on, on racer.com. Ah, faced with becoming a full-time... We were just talking about this. Faced with becoming a full-time sports car driver in 2018, Elliot Castroneves buys out his contract with Team Penske with Chevy's help and goes to A.J. Foyt Ugh. to become <laughs> teammates with lifelong pal and rival Tony Kanaan. He says, quote... Hypothetically, quote, never cared much for furriners. I don't even know what that's referring to. Uh, it's something that AJ would say. <laughs> furriners. Furriners. Except Kenny and Sato, but both these boys still run darn good at Indianapolis, and that's mm-hmm. the only race anybody cares about anyway, growled the four-time yeah. Indy 500 that, king to racer that is a on good, his Twitter account. That is a good characterization, let's say, <laughs> of, of AJ Foyt yeah. and the kind of guy that he was both as a driver and, and an owner. It would be cool to see these two guys come together at the end of their career because they were teammates in Indy Lights. They both drove for Tasman. They went down to the Indy Lights Championship in 1996? 1997, the year Tony Kanaan won. Elio had a huge lead that he built up, and because of uh, various issues and things that happened on the racetrack, giant points lead was squandered, and Tony beat him in the last race of the year, really? which was at oh. California Speedway. Uh-huh. Yeah, and everybody's wondering, well, how, how could Elio have blown this? But they were. Yeah. They came up together. They raced a lot together in Brazil. They found themselves on the same Indy Lights team. They went at it, and at that point, they kind of went their separate ways. And there was a point in their career where they didn't see eye to eye, and they patched it up, which is good. Good for all of us, too. But uh, that's, a, that's an interesting opinion, again, that they would be together at the beginning of the of their career and at the end of the career. That'd be neat. All right. Thanks for clearing up some of the things that I, as a 19-year-old guy, well, maybe, maybe don't I, understand. Well, maybe I could have my own segment on, on quote-unquote, things you don't understand. Maybe so. We'll have to, we'll have to <laughs> let's look find at that. A, let's find out what Jim knows about this. Definitely. It's a reference to 1973. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. So back to... The real news world, thanks to Marshall Pruitt and Robin Miller's Robin work Miller. for Racer.com. Yeah, Great those, stuff. Guys, Great are a million stuff. laughs, I'll tell you. For our final 10 minutes on the show today, let's talk about Arrow Kits and then the championship finale. So 
I noticed uh, Arrow Kits went underwent testing already on mm-hmm. both ovals and road courses. Per- they perform fairly well. Very well. There's a quote from another Marshall Pruitt article uh, saying that Schmidt is also using what's coming with IndyCar's 2018 Universal Bodywork uh-huh. to refine his driver selection process. Okay. Thanks to a drop in maximum downforce on road and street courses okay. with the 2018 kit, Schmidt anticipates needing a new driver with a type of talent that doesn't need obscene aerodynamic assistance to run up front. Okay. He says, quote, uh, Schmidt says, quote, if they keep the 2018 car in the current configuration, it's going to take a different skill set for that, he surmised. It should separate the men from the boys. At a place like Mid-Ohio, we had 21 cars separated by 9 or 10 tenths of a second. I don't think it will be like that next year. I think we'll see two seconds potentially. It's going to be interesting. It's changing our whole strategy for looking for a driver. There's good momentum from a series standpoint, from an energy standpoint, and I think looking at the landscape next year, everybody looks at the new kit as a fresh start. It's going to put it more back on the drivers to make the difference. And there are a million people who have been wanting to see this happen for a long time. When downforce came in in the 80s, 90s, in the towards the end of CART, we would have downforce and aerodynamics and the spill coming off the back of the car was so important that we would go to a place like Milwaukee that would be normally a very competitive little place where you could pass high and low. And the leaders would come up to the tail-enders, and they would keep station like that until there was a yellow or until there was a pit stop. The cars were so competitive, and the aerodynamics and the downforce being what they were, you couldn't get around the guy who was qualified last. Mm -hmm. They were that close. They were that close. And we had some processions back then until something happened. And there is a school that's been around for a long time. Rick Mears is a proponent. A.J. Foyt is a proponent because they drove cars with a lot less downforce, saying, mm-hmm. let's see what happens if we take the downforce away. If you have to back off on the small ovals like like Gateway, like Phoenix, if you have to back off going in the corners, which is kind of the way it was when I first started officiating auto racing in the, in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Let's make it not, quote, unquote, so easy. Again, I say this, quote, unquote, because I'm not a driver. but And I'll give a lot of credit to our engineering department and our aero people at IndyCar, Bill Pappas and his team, for actually working with Delara and getting this thing to where it looks like it's going to work on paper. This is what we want. And then they deliver the product to Montoya and Servia, who are testing it not only on the road course, but also on the short oval and at Indianapolis. And it seems to be working very well. Let's see what happens when we package it. Let's see what happens when we give it to the teams who will do a lot more with it than we have. It's going to be one of the things that I've been looking forward to longer than a lot of years at really? this. Really? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going to see what we get. It's, it's going to be, Sam is right, it's going to be a completely different, different landscape. All right, we have a few minutes left here. Let's fit in the main topic for today, which mm-hmm. is the Verizon IndyCar Championship finale. When we finally get to the it. The GoPro Grand Prix of Sonoma this Sunday at the Sonoma Raceway in Sonoma, California. So we have Joseph Newgarden leading the standings by three points over Scott Dixon. Elio Both Castroneves. Indy Lights champions. Got to right. say that again. Yep. Elio Castroneves is in third. And Indy Lights runner-up. Simon <laughs> Paginot in fourth, the defending champion. Will Power in fifth and Alexander Rossi in sixth. It's great to have this double points at the end of the race. It brings so many more guys into play 
that way. Mm-hmm. That being said, again, for guys like in fourth, fifth, and sixth, Pagano, Power, and Rossi, you would have to have some sort of small disaster on the first lap in the first corner that would that would take Newgarden, Dixon, and Castroneves out. Exactly, yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, I couldn't think of a better place to have the final race, road course-wise, mm-hmm. because the history at Sonoma proves that it's a very unpredictable place. A lot of odd things have happened there geographically, competitively. It's a mixed bag of what kind of race you're going to get. And going into the last race with all this at stake, it's going to be really interesting. Looking at the last, the previous winners of this race in particular, mm-hmm. Simon Pagano won it and won the championship last year for Penske. The previous two times were Scott Dixon... Before him, Will Power in 2013, Ryan Briscoe in 2012, and Will Power in 2010 and 2011. Mm-hmm. It seems like it has to be either from Penske yep. or Ganassi to win this race. Yep. And that appears to that will definitely play in the hands of New Garden, Penske driver, Dixon, Ganassi driver, Castro Nevis, Penske driver, Pagano, Penske driver, Will Power, Penske driver. Yeah, well. So that just that, that puts them all back on an even playing field, too. Um, if you recall, uh, again, my opinion here. Penske has a lot going for it. There is somewhat of an indestructibility factor. Like, how could they lose it with all this going for them? But also remember, they had a little bit of canton last year between Power and Montoya. They ran into each other halfway through the race, which was certainly not expected for a team that has that kind of control over what's going on. Scott Dixon is always there. This is one of his tracks, like Mid-Ohio. When Scott Dixon is on, he will leave everybody else behind like they're in a different league, in a different set of cars or something like that. So I'm going to preempt you here. You're going to ask me my opinion on this, but yes, but I but I will cautiously say that as a member of race control, I will not have an opinion. I will lay down the fact that both of these epic organizations could win it. They both could lose it. Uh, we're just going to sit back and race control. We're going to call the race as we normally do. Uh, Brian Barnhart, I will uh, give you the, uh, the inside information on, is always very mindful that we don't get too tied up in who's leading the points. Mm-hmm. Uh, guys, don't worry about that. you got to race, okay? So we try to leave that stuff behind. Yeah, that's, that's... Let, the, let the people in the press and in the press room take care of that. We have to be very careful exactly, yeah. that we make a call towards the end of this race that taking, taking ourselves out of race control could decide the championship, but we have to make that call as if it was April, right, to be fair to all the calls that have been made during the season and all the, the calls that have made since then. So we're enthusiasts. We like to see the thing come down this close. We're very proud of our series, but also as professionals, we have to be very careful in the way we. Uh, I uh, definitely understand. We that. adjudicate things with conflict of interest. It's right. very important to appear neutral in any in, in, mm-hmm. in every situation. Yeah. So I cannot so. tell you who I think is going to win. All right. <laughs> so, with that in mind, we'll tell you who I think is going to win. Still, I think it's going to be Joseph Newgarden. He's currently leading, has a slim advantage, but I think it's because Watkins Glen was a once-in-a-season kind of mistake. He's had a very consistent run. He's grown into his Penske seat well. Before the Glen, he had a ton of momentum with wins at Toronto, Mid-Ohio, a second at, a second place at Pocono, momentum and a win is, at Gateway. Momentum is very important in this sport. Mm-hmm. I think he'll cast the Glen off as just a speck of dirt on the visor, mm-hmm. to use an IndyCar phrase in a way. Mm-hmm. 
because he's focused on this championship. I think it's his time. I think he wins the race as well. He may just need to because Scott Dixon, as you've said, will be right there. He used to market himself uh, before he came to Indy Lights as, I think it was in one of his earlier brochures, Joseph Newgarden, driver of tomorrow. And for him, in a week's time, it could be tomorrow is here. We'll see. It's about the end of the show now. So what are you looking forward to most about working in Sonoma this weekend, about the track in particular? I think based on some of the things that I that I said, the unpredictability uh, of the racetrack, it's, a, it's an anything-can-happen track. Elkhart Lake is like this because of the length of that track, because you can get stranded out there miles and miles from your from your pit box. This place has a Wild West sort of wild and woolly character to it. You can go off the racetrack. You can get back on. Um, you're not necessarily going to hit anything. There's a lot of room out there, but you do have to go through some dust, I believe. Seeing the pictures of the track recently, it's it's come a long way from last winter when it was green as anything, and it looked like a track in Ireland. It is now back to its former brownish gold state. Mm-hmm. And we have a race control up there that is a press box type of race control, but it's got a back level on it. So we can kind of set up our race control as if we were in a trailer where we've got the video wall, but you can also stand up and see the pit lane. You can see the front straight. You can see a good part of the back of the racetrack. I have a soft spot to Sonoma. I will always thank it and the universe for getting me back in the IndyCar game because it was where that's where Brian Barnhart asked me to uh, rejoin the uh, the IndyCar World Series uh, the Verizon IndyCar World Series and uh, it's it's just a great place to go up to and enjoy being an official and enjoy motor racing any off-season plans after that race got a lot of work to do got a lot of painting to do yeah Uh, I will be, and and maybe this is a chance for a future show, I will be working the Formula One race at Austin. Really? Yes, uh, as the Marshall communicator. I've done that. Oh, wow, really? This, this is something yeah. I think I've, I've held back from you because there's just a little too much information, but this will be my fourth or fifth time doing the Formula One race. It's, it's a one-off. Well, we have a tendency uh-huh. down there to create like a, this is a little self-aggrandizing, but like an all-star team. There are some IMSA officials. Mm-hmm. There are some IndyCar officials. There are some PwC people that come in, and we all help out the Formula One group because their standards are very high. We do things a little bit differently in Formula One that we would normally do in uh, in race officiating in the United States. So that might be a chance for another show sometime, but looking forward to that again too. That's that's great. I'd love to have you back on for that, definitely. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much, Jim Swintel, for joining me on Speedway Sounds today. Thanks again, and it's always great to do something in my own time zone here in uh, beautiful Irvine, California. That's it for this week on Speedway Sounds. Follow the show at Speedway Sounds, all one word, on both Facebook and Twitter for show previews, replays, and your opportunity to ask my guests the question. Next week, I preview the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship weekend in Monterey, California at the Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca which I'm happy to announce that I will be going to that race as a guest of IMSA, the International Motorsports Association. Also, you're welcome to use the hashtag AnnieDersInRacing whenever we're talking about motorsport here on the UC Irvine campus. And mark some September 24th down in your calendar to follow AnnieDersInRacing coverage of Matt McMurray at the four hours of Spa in the European Le Mans series. Coming up next to begin the evening's music programming, The Color Spectrum with Jericho here on KUCI. I'm Noah Stein, and thank you so much for listening. Always wear a helmet. 
and never ever drive distracted or under the influence. And please, always wear your seatbelt. You're listening to Speedway Sounds with Noah Stein on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Have a great night.